And we're back for, I guess, our final guest. Final guest. Saving the best for last. Presented by ASICS. So we didn't even think of trying to reach out to any of the men's marathoners today. Who Should ran. I pull back the curtain and explain how we got this interview? Yeah, well, we, it was just like, you ran a marathon this morning. There's no shot that anyone would want to sit down and join us. But here I we was, are, joined by Canada's Roy Linkletter, 212-16, 19th place today, looking fresh as a daisy with us. I was walking down the street in <laughs> Budapest. You never know who you'll run into. And I see Cor- Rory and uh, Ben uh, eating lunch, and I said, hey. You want to come on? We got we got a little setup two blocks away. And Rory said, "Yeah, here I am." <laughs> Do you, you feel good? What's going on? It's only been like six hours. Yeah, relatively speaking, I feel pretty good. Um, Post marathon, you never know. I was forced by Athletics Canada's training staff to take an ice bath after for cooling. Maybe that's the secret. My legs feel fine. My stomach feels okay. I've I've fueled up properly since the race, so I feel pretty good. So break it down. Was it as hot out there as it seemed? Did we, I didn't see any hills out there. There was one little bump in a bridge. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about the course experience. I mean, the course was awesome. Like, I actually think it could have been so, so fast. Uh, In perfect conditions, it could have been, you know, record-breaking type course. I mean, maybe not Kipchoge, you know, ask, but it was, it was really nice. I mean, mix of scenic routes, great crowd support. It was it was pretty cool. Um, the weather, it was it was warm. Not gonna lie, I've never run a marathon even close to those temperatures, but I expected it to be warm all summer, so I was pretty much preparing for that scenario. And so for me, you know, the course was mostly shaded. I never thought about the heat while I was running. I was uh, cooling throughout the race with the sponges and you know just like little cooling methods. I wore a ice vest on my warm up, you know, all the, all the usual stuff, but yeah, it was, it was, it was manageable until the last lap where the shade started to dissipate from the course as the sun got higher. And, um, but yeah, it was just slower. It wasn't necessarily like scorching. So where, what's the letter grade? How, how are you assessing? You know, you might need a couple of days to like really think about it, but at least right now, how are we grading ourselves for this performance? Yeah, so prior to this, uh, my PB was from last year's World Championships in Eugene, 210.24. Today, I ran 212.16, so less than two minutes off my PB in these conditions. To me, like just being completely fair with myself and not having really dug deep into it, I, I thought it was the best marathon I've ever run. So to me, that's all you can ever ask for at a World Championship where the stage is the brightest. Like If you can run your best here, you can't be upset with yourself. So um I thought going into the race that if I ran that exact time, I would probably place a few spots higher, but you know, it was a deep field. Uh, I think I was the 65th fastest personal best in the field and the 58th ranked athlete by world athletics rankings. So it was certainly uh, a steep hill to the top 10, but that was kind of like my arbitrary goal coming in. And, you know, I can't control what 18 other people did on the day and there's world-class people ran world-class performances. So. Well, so speaking of depth, one of the things I always look at in these world championship marathons specifically is where the third man comes in for each country, because the, you know, the cross country runner in me at the end of the day, it's like, you know, the medal sure are sorted out by, by who gets top three, but the strength of your country, you know, I don't know if there's a scoring system we can invent, but Canada, three men in the top 30, one of the highest finishing teams 
not to throw anybody under the bus, but beat the U.S. by a couple spots. <laughs> What's the secret to to the consistency in both today, but also just across the board, the recent sort of uh, uh, surge in strong Canadian marathoners? Yeah, I think one, we take preparation for the heat very seriously. Um, our staff is like on us about like pacing, fueling plans, um, pretty on the, over the top, actually, in some regards, like totally like here's the math of what you should run based on, you know, what your projected fitness is and the conditions we have. Like I was given like a graph, a pace chart, like first half should you should be 60 to 90 seconds slower than if you were running, you know, perfect conditions, Berlin say, and then the second half, cause it's warming up as you go, you should be two minutes to two minutes and 30 seconds slower because the course is heating up obviously. Um, so there was, uh, definitely some detail oriented like pacing and I ran a pretty even split race. And I think that that was a large part of it. Like knowing like based on the science, where should I place my, my pace at? And, uh, I think I executed that quite well. And then also right now there's just a lot of depth. I mean, if Cam Levins was here as he was supposed to be, I'm sure we would have done much better. I just think he's been on a tear lately. So, uh, there's probably three people at home right now that are Canadians that could have very well you know, just slid right in and, uh, yeah, hats off to Ben Preisner and Justin Kent for running their race plan accordingly and, and pacing quite well. They both negative split the race as well. And it's not fun to do that. It's not fun to, to start a marathon and just let everyone go and like, say like, screw that and just like see how it goes later. But it is fun in the last 10 K when you're catching a body a minute and you're like thinking like, how, how far can I go? How many people can I catch? And it keeps you really, really engaged in the latter half, which is where the, the mind can get pretty dull at that point in the marathon. Well, there was a lot of cheers for you in the, in the booth because our, our website guru, Jasmine, and Max's wife, Sam, are both Canadians. So there's a, there's a strong Canadian Sidious crossover for sure. Is it tempting at any point? You're five miles in. The pace isn't that hot because you're being smart. You're calculated about slowing it down to just be like, eh, let's just do it anyway and like make that surge. I would say Zach Panning rode the finest line of like doing this really, really well. And I like to consider myself similar to Zach. We were, uh, you know, we're about the same age. He's run similar PBs to me, um, slightly faster in the marathon. I'm slightly faster in some shorter races and like watching him just go for it. I was like, ah, I'll get him. I'll get him. But like seeing how he finished, I was like, man, like what would I have done had I, had I just like keyed off Zach the whole race and, you know, no regrets. I think I executed my plan as well as I could have, but yeah, it's, it's really hard early in the race when you feel really good to hold back. Cause I felt too good through 15 K and then I kind of pushed a little bit too much the next 15 K and then the last 10 K I was like, Oh yeah, you probably should have waited five, 10 K before you started like trying to eat, eat up the field. And, uh, I asked people that I knew, that had done well in hot races and in championship races and in majors, how to run in these conditions, Fobble and Jared Ward are two people that I texted before the race. And they both gave me similar advice. Just be patient wait. Fobble was like, go slower than you think you should wait till 25 K. And I was like, well, those guys are the, have, have done it so well at such high levels. So, and they're friends of mine. So I just was like, let's just see if I can duplicate, you know, a Fobble esque performance or award in Rio and, best case scenario I could have placed like they do but you know it is what it is you know like at the at end of a race you're digging so deep and then six hours later you're probably sitting here and you're forgetting how painful it was 
have you forgotten yet? And where did that rank, that pain versus previous marathons? Yeah, so I've had a bad track record of like going out too hard and dying just horrible deaths in marathons. <laughs> so like running an even split marathon is actually like pretty comfortable for a long time. Like if you actually run within yourself and run appropriately, I think you should feel good till 10, 12K to go. And that's about what happened out there today. 30K hit, I was feeling really good. I was still running really fast splits. And then the last 12K, I was basically managing risk and goals. Like I had moments where I was like, oh, is my hamstring about to cramp? Like I would turn, I would turn and like, I would feel something. And I was like, don't let this race blow up in your face right now. Let's just like slow down for a second, gather yourself. You know, you feel just like these waves of like, is everything about to come crashing and burning right now? Or is, or is this going to be a special day? And I was just trying to protect a special day. Um, maybe leave some seconds out there doing that, but like, I didn't want to risk walking at some point. And I felt like I was on the verge of like, I could push physically. Like I had like the aerobic capacity, but my legs felt like the heat and the pounding was starting to weigh on them. And I didn't know if I could, uh, afford like getting after it in the last 10 K. So you can actually help us settle a debate we were having, uh, during the watch party, the bottle tables were arranged alphabetically by, by country. So Canada pretty early in the yep. alphabet, we were debating whether it's better to have early bottles. So you like get in and get out of the way or late bottles. So you can kind of keep running until you're out of trouble and then grab your bottle. Which do you prefer? In Eugene, it was crazy. Cause I was with the lead pack through 25 ish K and here I kind of let people go and was a little bit further back. So I had more time. So today it didn't matter as much, but in Eugene, I was definitely like stressed at every time I got a bottle and it felt like a very, like every bottle was in, in a way, like the hardest part of the race, like get in position, like don't let anyone trip you up. Like that's your biggest fear as a marathoner is like, saw it a couple of times. Yeah, people yeah. fell right around like those sponge stations. I, I was actually on the opposite side of the road when Teferi, is that his name? The, the Israeli athlete that got second, like I saw him slide across the asphalt and I was like, there's no way this guy pops up and does well. <laughs> like that looked so painful live guy gets second place. And I'm like, I mean, maybe it, it was adrenaline or something, but that was incredible. Cause like that would have, I'm, I'm sure he's got some bad road rash right Where now. Where are you at on dropping sponges and water bottles at your feet versus tossing it to the side? Oh, yeah, a lot a of Kyle's athletes pet seem really inconsiderate. They're at the front of the pack and they're like, Oh, dropped the sponge. Now 50 guys have run over it. Yeah, yeah. So the sponge, I was less concerned, um, especially where I was at in the field. Bottle, I always tried to toss it like out towards the fans. Like I would like find someone I know and like toss it at them. <laughs> like basically like throw it at them. Be like, oh, yeah, like they'll get it. Um, but uh, the sponge felt pretty harmless to just kind of like just toss off to the side. Like I wouldn't say I dropped it right at my feet, but like a little bit to the side is definitely in the area of athletes path potentially. And I felt like I was dodging some sponges out there <laughs> at, at certain points. But I mean, as far as risk goes, I don't think those are the riskiest things. Like I was more afraid of like stepping on someone's bottle or something, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't never felt like I was dodging too much. So how, how, how are the cobblestones out there? And like the the other one that we were t discussing is like the U-turns were tight a couple times. Yeah, the worst part feel? was definitely the U-turns. The cobblestone on this course was pretty even. So and there was a like a bike lane 
on the inside that was better than even the middle of the road. So I would stay on the bike lane on the left side until we were about to enter the bridge. And then I'd cross over the cobblestone and turn right. Um, I had a teammate, Bia Simbasa, that ran Prague and was like, those cobblestones were crazy. So I think as far as European cities goes, Budapest cobblestone is top notch, very even. So <laughs> I don't think it was too bad. Uh, I never like was concerned about it, but it was definitely like one of those things where it was like, don't, don't like step wrong or do anything like, you know, protecting a good race, especially in the later stages. Yeah. Like the way you describe the like risk reward of going and protecting. I thought that was probably very relatable for anyone who's run a marathon before. I've never felt good enough in the last 10 K of a marathon <laughs> to like have that choice. <laughs> it's, it's normally like, uh, the, uh, like uh, don't stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you feel like I, whenever I turn right, which the course had more right turns than left turns, it felt, I would like feel like my right hamstring was like gonna, gonna give out. And I was like, okay. So I was like shortening my stride, like taking all these turns as wide as possible. Like just little things like physically, I don't think I was like holding back as much as I was just like trying to keep it all tight, you know, like keep everything in and keep it consistent. Just like wait till you get like a little closer, a little closer. When I got to like 2k to go, I was like, okay. Like nothing bad's going to happen now. It was like from like 35K to 40K that I was like really concerned about like doing something detrimental. We saw point. that in both races too. You know, people like 23, 24 miles in metal positions until something goes wrong. It goes really wrong. So it's certainly, especially in the hot weather when like your heart rate just gets a little too high and your body temperature peaks a little too much. It's, it's crazy how deep you can get into a marathon and have it not be locked up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely was a part of the calculations every step out there. Yeah. How was your buildup? Everything good coming in? Did you try anything new this time around? It was really good. Um, I was really confident, really excited. And I was like, definitely in the mindset of like, this is the fittest you've ever been. Like, make sure that you take advantage of this. There was almost like a, like, pressure because the build went so well I was like man I really got to cash in on this one if you don't cash in on this what like what's your excuse um I was hoping for good weather because I was like man I really think I could run a fast one but I hopefully this isn't the best build of my career going forward it is the best build up to this point but you know um I lucked out with the fact that I was building fitness throughout the build which is a really good way for 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 me personally to enter a build like kind of out of shape and like every week you're building momentum tempos are getting faster you're feeling better and uh it wasn't planned that way it's just i dropped out of london four weeks prior took a two-week break tried to get healthy built really slowly because i was protecting myself from re-injuring myself after that and yeah it was like one of those things where the first six to eight weeks of the build was not super sexy you know just checking boxes getting getting up to mileage running the workouts that are like the high volume stuff that you need for the marathon and then once I got fit and started seeing those glimpses of fitness then we started really ratcheting it up and I felt pretty fresh late in the build which I've had times where you get like six weeks out and you're like oh man I wish the race was sooner whereas this one I was like oh man I feel great this is perfect race is timed well you know the worst is you you look at the race and you're like it's too soon or it's couldn't come soon enough and I felt like I was it was just right the whole time how involved are you in those conversations of training or this is like what I feel like I need or this is what I'm feeling is it a, a partnership in those conversations or are you more let's shut the brain off and just run a million miles I like 
so for the first time ever, Ryan let me completely dictate my mileage on easy days. And I loved that. That was a big step for me. I kind of like to have my hands on the steering wheel, but he is the uh, architect of every workout. And I am one of those people that uh, wants to hit every workout. So I think I do a good job of of respecting the workouts as I see them pop up on the training log. I'm like, okay, that's going to be a big one. I better run less the day before so that I'm fresh enough. And I did run the most mileage I'd ever run. I ran the fastest thresholds on Lake Mary and like kind of things that I've, you know, I've done this enough times now that like you have a general idea and, you know, Flagstaff's one of those places where a lot of professional athletes train. So you kind of have an idea of what X athlete does on Lake Mary for 15 miles at threshold or whatnot. And I was like, well, things are going as well as they could. And I feel like Ryan is going to prepare me as well as anyone could. And he seems to be really confident in where we're at. And I'm feeling as good as I've ever felt. So there's no reason to doubt that process. So Ryan, obviously, you, you've worked with him for a, a little while now, like over, over a year? year yeah, a just yeah. about 18 months, going um, on two years. Obviously, as a marathoner, you know, his, his resume speaks for itself, but you know, especially after retirement, uh, he's notorious as well for doing some crazy physical things like in and around training. Yeah. How much of, of, uh, your relationship with him is like, I want to be just like Ryan and how much of it is like, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. So I see you're not extremely jacked right now. So clearly yeah. at least some of it is. I have been told that I look stronger, which I think people just automatically assume that because I work with Ryan, like I lift more. I do lift maybe a little bit more, but like I don't think my my body's changed at all. But uh, I think that the biggest thing with Ryan is that I trust when he tells me like, hey, you're in this shape or I think you can do this because I know that he's done that exact thing. You know, I don't think you have to be a former athlete to be a great coach. And certainly there's plenty of uh, great coaches that weren't top level athletes, but as an athlete, I'm like, well, if he was doing this back in his day, he was running this time, you know, it's, it's easier to buy into the idea that like his word is worth more, you know, it, it weighs a lot. So he is an intense athlete, an intense human being still to this day. He kind of like reminds me that I need to reevaluate what I think is hard, what I think is fast, what I think is impressive. And being surrounded by uh, him and Sarah, honestly, like sometimes I'm like, I don't work that hard. Like there's, there's levels to this stuff. And like, I can definitely always take it a, a notch higher because there's people that are just so tough, so physically gifted, so uh, determined to hit their goals that it's like there's levels, and I can I can always find find more, and that's the inspiration that I've gotten from Ryan and Sarah as a as a pair, just to be surrounded by them. It just those people are hardcore, and it's they don't force that on anybody. Like it, there's never this like pressure to be like Ryan or like Sarah, but like being around it and seeing the 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 way that they are it's like kind of want to be you kind of want to be a little bit tougher so there's kind of this balance that a lot of elite athletes try to have of believing in your talent but also believing in your ability to work hard right like if you sway too far to one side then something's lacking on the other like you don't want to be like i'm not talented at all i'm only 100 hard work 
Where do you kind of fall on that scale? Yeah, this is actually really funny because I uh, had some teammates, especially <laughs> in college, that like didn't want to be called talented. Yeah. And I'm like, I would love for someone to just be like, you're a freak, Rory. You're a freak talent. <laughs> no, you're like, you get so like, much content. You're, like, you're like, yeah, I am. I am a freak. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I'll just tell myself, like, even if, like, it, I don't deserve it. Like, Look you're, how jacked yeah, I am. You're a freak, you know? like <laughs> Well, especially when training's not going well, too. Like, there's there's comfort, you know, the sort of the expression, like, talent doesn't go away. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the times when it's down, you're like, oh, shit, I hope I'm talented. <laughs> yeah. But I think. Working hard is a talent. I think that's what ta- uh, uh, some talented people will convince themselves of, that they are hard workers only because they can put in intense amounts of work. That is that is such a talent. Durability is a talent. The ability to be motivated all the time, that's a talent. And I've seen certain athletes that I think uh, exude this ability more than others. I think of, like, off the top of my head, an athlete I admire is Joe Klecker. Like, that guy can put in work right? We all have heard the like cliche, like Klecker miles or whatever. And like, you can call that hard work. I think it's a talent and it's hard work. It's both things. He's driven and it's, he has the ability to do that thing. Connor Mance, a guy that I trained with at BYU, his training's crazy, but he's, that's a talent of his is that he can work hard. And I've always thought that I recover quite well. I can get away with training pretty hard. And that is, that is in itself a, quite a, a talent. So, my former teammate, Don Cabral, used to always say, like, working hard isn't just, you know, running with a lot of intensity because he enjoyed that. So for you, what is the hardest part of working hard and how do you define it? Because if you're enjoying a 24-mile long run, maybe that isn't hard work. So what is the sacrifice that you are defining? So this block, I think, like, being controlled in sessions was a big big part of it and I am a easily excitable individual and it's easy for me to overtrain I think because I feel pretty good and I have a lot of energy like I I'm the kind of person that shows up for a long run and I'm like excited to be there and like I'm I show up to a workout and I'm excited to be there so it's it's really easy to like mistake like positive vibes and positive energy for I'm always feeling good and so I could very easily like go too far especially early in a block. So just like self-restraint, like knowing that, hey, you don't need to hit these times. You don't need to hit these 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 uh, these mileages or, or whatnot this early and like just restraining yourself. That's, that's the skill that I need to master. And I'm lucky enough that I've been surrounded by some pretty elite marathoners that I've seen master this skill. Fobble is like the king of this. He does not care what his training looks like to anyone else, to himself, he has confidence in his ability. He does the work. He checks the boxes and he knows that come race day, he'll be ready. And like, I want to be like that one day where like, I know what I need to do and I know the, the steps to get there and just like, just check boxes, be like really, uh, non-emotional about it, but then call upon that emotion on race day to level up. And I think I did a better job this, this go round of that. Like, I don't think my training and my racing work separated i think that they were pretty matched i find it so much harder to get motivated to do a like like medium workout than a hard one like you know it's like if i got 10 by mile on the calendar i'm like let's go 10 by mile like repeats i'm fired up for it if it's like do a 40 minute progression run i'm like oh i don't want to do this this is hard it's like just uncomfortable enough that it doesn't feel as easy as i want it to like it's funny how especially in 
marathon training where there are big periods where like your body is not supposed to feel good. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's, it's not the big efforts, at least for me, like they get to you. It's the kind of maintenance efforts that are the hardest motivation wise to like force yourself to get through and to, and to your point to get through properly, like mm-hmm. to not overrun those hard yeah. parts too. Ryan put a huge emphasis this block on like being okay with like seven out of tens. That was his, his words, not mine. Um, he was like every day a seven or eight out of 10, like don't try to hit 10 out of 10. Don't try to be a hero. And I think that that was a great thing to remind myself in these workouts. And I found myself, uh, trying to like feel that and hold back and be like, Oh, I could have done more. And then sometimes I would finish and I'd be mad. I'd be like, Oh, like I probably left like a little bit out there. Like maybe I should have done one more rep. Like, cause sometimes these workouts, uh, there is like some give and take, right? Like you could run this pace or this pace. You could run 12 reps or 15 reps and I get to 12 and I'm like, Oh, I feel so good. I want to do 15, but should I? And it's like, I kind of took the, the less option more often than I would normally because I was trying to embody that uh, mindset of like, let's just keep hitting base hits, base hit, base hit. And I know that the marathon is like very much like a, a race where you can like leave it in training very easily. Like you need to have a lot of juice. It's better to be undertrained, healthy on the start line, ready to go. Maybe even questioning, did I do enough? Then the opposite, like being like totally fried and like having nailed everything and like, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's hard for, for a guy like me, but it's definitely, uh, the most important lesson I've learned now having this be my seventh marathon. <laughs> so go. I was going to say an <laughs> X factor to your entire buildup is that you just had your second kid, right? That was exactly what I was going to, you were going to bring this up because like you're talking about how hard you're training and everything. Was it two months? Like she's gonna be three months old, uh, September third. So she was born June third, middle of the block. Yeah, uh, seriously. Right before all the hard stuff started. I hear every Twitter training coach is like, sleep, sleep is the most important thing in the world. Like, I, I don't. How is that going? <laughs> yeah. So, full transparency, my wife gets up with my kid. I don't. And that's like a, not a cool thing to say on the internet. Shout out. Where's the camera? Shout out to the wives. <laughs> yeah. My wife is super supportive and honestly, I can't do anything. I don't breastfeed a kid. So she breastfeeds the kid. Um, I sometimes hear it. I'm in the room. So, but I'm a pretty deep sleeper. So like, I'll be like back out in a second. That's a talent. Yeah. Speaking of it is a talent. talent. It is for it just, sure. It talent. sounds like your wife ran 212 today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She was a huge part of it for sure. She's, she has to deal with all the ups and downs of a marathon block. Like, you know, like the moments where you're like, I don't know if I'm going to be ready. Like, you know, you get sick once, like, or you get a little, like little small, like flare up in the build. And like your partner's always the person that has to bear the brunt of your crappy moods and, and, uh, the highs and lows. But I mean, for me having the second kid more so put more pressure on me with the first kid. Right. Like I was more doing toddler duty and she was like all newborn. So like, I, I liked that cause me and my son get along really well. He's just over two. I think he's around the same age yeah, as my your daughter is almost two. Okay. Yeah. My son turned two in July. So, um, no kids, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was like, I'm not a deep sleeper. I was definitely, <laughs> I was definitely go, go, go all the time. Like I would like finish training, uh, and I just felt like I was constantly like, okay, now I'm going to be like dad mode till 7 p.m. They go to bed and I, I felt like so many days were like 
train all day, parent when you're not training. And then it was like seven o'clock rolled around. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, like <laughs> just like chill out for two hours, like sit on the couch, do nothing, like just wait till it's like time to go to bed and then repeat. You know, it's just like, it was really cyclical. And like, in some ways I felt like I had so much structure because of that, that I like didn't do anything outside of like parent and train. So in a weird way, it kept me super focused and present and the block flew by and I had a pretty good, you know, head on my shoulders and, you know, there's obviously good days and bad, but it was, you know, my wife did a lot of the work. That's all I can really say about having a, having a, two month old before I left for this, this meet. And it was just, yeah, she just made it possible. So are you a stroller jogger ever? Like, has there ever been a a four mile double or it's like, no, it's your job. That's, you know, off season, maybe you'll try it out. Personally, I hate it. Can't stand. I, I've never run with a stroller. It's I'm going to just say, but- I don't think we have the proper stroller for a, a stroller jog, but also like I personally can't be seen jogging with a stroller. It's that like, would be, it's, yeah, that'd be a look for it, a professional. Like to do I would that. be, I've seen some pro runners like tag, like on Strava, like they're like, I just ran like stroller jog and like pace is like a minute slower than they normally run. I'm like, I mean, maybe it's effect effective in like a different <laughs> weird way, but like, I don't know. I just also Flagstaff, like you don't run on places that are stroller friendly. You, like, Lake Mary <laughs> Road's not even safe for adults. <laughs> 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 dodging cars left and right and yeah. if you're not on lake mary road you're on like a like a dirt forest service road like there's no stroller i was gonna say do this. they have all-terrain strollers <laughs> um. so no i i'm not stroller jogging um i am sometimes getting home from a run and immediately like playing with a two-year-old not showering for a couple hours you know so they, they won't tell anyone it's fine yeah yeah, yeah. so I'm going to hit you with a real curveball okay. before we wrap up. Uh, so the meme, I guess, for lack of a better way to, to put it, of uh, BYU split shorts is okay. quickly becoming as famous as, as any of the BYU runners. As an alum, uh, do you find it funny? Does it annoy you? Do you ignore it? I just it? wish that they would tag me when they post a photo of me with my split shorts on. Because <laughs> I have one of those circulating photos that gets brought back into the Uh-oh. cycle constantly. Because there's a video, there's a race where I ran Oregon Relays or like Pepsi Invite. One of the two. I don't know which one it was. I think it was Pepsi Invite. And I ran a 3K in pissing rain and I was wearing the split shorts. And I had like a really bad shot of like just lining and you can see, see what, yeah. yeah, Right. And like I, that photo resurfaces and someone will always tag me in it. Like you'll get the comment. You won't get And I'm like, at least give me the clout for this. Like if you're going to post a picture of my balls on the internet, like like, at least like, (laughs) let me collab. So (laughs) I want the clout at least. Does is like the, uh, cause you also, you guys every year you get like the, the white shorts too. Like is the athletic department like aware, like, there's the sports information department. Like, do they know that this is like a reputation that the cross country team has? I doubt it. There was one athlete that definitely wore this on their chest more than anyone else. And I won't say his name, but a steeplechase athlete that was constantly wearing shorts. that were too small. And the problem is, is the shorts are too small. Uh, If you don't wear the proper size shorts, it's where you're exposed. So like I had that one race, a photo was surfaced and I Learned immediately asked for a size up and never had the problem again. 
this athlete knew this was happening every race and just never asked for a size up. It's such an easy fix. You just ask for a medium instead of a small. It's so simple. Everyone this, wants to be a small. This is killing Mac right now. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone wants to be a small. It's a problem, but. Well, uh, we're talking about split shorts. I don't know about that. Yeah, it depends on what you mean. <laughs> I can't, but what a crazy question, David. But Rory handled that with such grace. Yeah, now I'll pivot <laughs> to like the actual, you know. So going into Olympic year. You know, obviously we're in a little bit of a weird time in terms of like marathon cycles. Probably some stuff is still up in the air in terms of next race, things you, you know, can or can't announce. But what are you sort of moving forward from this, both like mentally and in your, you know, training and racing plans? Like what's the game plan from now until Paris? I mean, the way I see it is if I don't run sub 208.10, I won't go to Paris no matter what I do. I, I don't think anyone is getting in without a 208.10. Based on what I can see, like 55, 60 people have already done it. It's an interesting There's, conundrum in the U.S. as well. Some yeah, people so think like, it's not going to be an issue. Others do. So I'm looking, where's the best likelihood of me to run 208.10? What do I need to do to do that? And I don't think that that time is as crazy as it has made, been made out to be for top-level athletes. I think a Scott Fable, a Connor Mance, you know, a Galen Rupp obviously has done it before. Top-level Americans, top-level Canadians can can achieve this mark. This mark is not out of reach. It is tough. It's going to take a good day, good course, good conditions, good pacing. It's going to take all of the things lining up. But these these races are are around. You just have to sacrifice appearance fees. You know, going to the races that you may feel more comfortable with. And I'm going to look at you know where's the best place to run fast. And you know I got to take a break after this. But I, that's where my head's at. Where is the best place to run fast out in the world? And where do people most likely get this? Because Europeans, like, there's three Spaniards in the race today with... Going to Valencia. 209. <laughs> yeah, I know you didn't say that to me, but it sounds like you're on to Valencia. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> but, like, there's Just so watch many this people. Space. You know, once you get tagged, follow Rory on Instagram, and he'll tell you when he's allowed to tell you. Yeah, but there's, like, no way that I just can't accept that Fobble, I'm just going to keep bringing up Fobble, isn't as good as these athletes. He's just running New York and Boston every year. So well, how many 205 and 206 guys did you mix it up with? Yeah, I was, I was surrounded by 206, 207, 205 guys. And, you know, it's just like one of those things where it's like, it doesn't, it still seems daunting because it is a, it would be a two minute PB for me, but it, I've known in training that it's possible, you know? Uh, and Marathon Project in the U.S. showed that, you know, these times aren't that crazy. That wasn't that crazy of a field. It was, you know, a weird race. But, like, everybody ran 209. I didn't. But a lot of people did in that race. And it, it showed you that, you know, you get uh, top Americans on a fast course. You get good pacing, good weather. It's 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 possible. It's definitely possible. You just got to go for it, and you got to sacrifice maybe an appearance fee or something for it. I'm personally, first of all, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I totally think that if you can run 212 in a course like today, like 208 is absolutely in the cards out at a Valencia, out of Berlin, out of London, something like that. I'm mostly just furious. We've said so many nice things about Favo in this interview. Like, so he is, as a, as a legacy member of the, the Sidious Mag family, he's in a couple group chats with us and I love Favo. We're going to hear personally. about that. We're going to hear about all the nice things we've said and that. <laughs> I, I'm not looking forward to the gloating, that's for sure. 
Well, a couple weeks now, what are you going to do? Yeah, so... See your family? Yeah, are I'm, you getting I'm up flying in the back of the to night? California. My in-laws uh, hosted my wife and children while I was gone because so, they didn't. my wife didn't want to stay in Arizona by herself. So they're in Southern California. I'll head straight there after this. I fly out tomorrow morning. Probably spend a few days there, just enjoy it, some downtime, and then get back to Flagstaff, meet with Ryan, go over options, talk to my agent, try to nail it down. Love it. Well, I like the plan. Excited to find out where you will run <laughs> and know that after today that we got good things lining up. We're figuring out the marathon. That's for sure. Get better every time. I hope like it's a trend, right? So Yeah, we're... Buy Rory stock now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for sitting down chatting. I can't believe six hours after a race of the caliber that you just did that you're here in the flesh looking good as well. Like I'm in my party shirt. Yeah. Ready to go. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for everyone for joining us on the ninth and final edition of Sidious Mag Live presented by ASICS tonight. Final night of competition. As always, we'll be sprinting back from the track to sit down, do another champs chat, break down all the action, recap what is a night jam-packed of finals. And it's the last one you get. It's, you know, East Coast. It's like 5 p.m., 4 p.m., 5 p.m. on a Sunday. You don't have anything else to do. You don't have work. Join us for a little one last night of banter. See just how crazy we get when we're sleep-deprived and high on track and field. Some of the priests may have work tonight, but you can catch up after. But uh, <laughs> super, super fun. You, if you, I, we went to church on Sunday mornings. So you got oh, plenty of time. Yeah. The 5 o'clock mass. Come on, Dave. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much. Super fun. We're going to go see Budapest. There's a whole city... You're, you're gonna go track. I might go take a nap. We'll see. We'll see. There's there's like two directions this afternoon could go. And no. It's either up, up, up or down, down, down. It's our final day. We haven't done it. Mac and I, we're going to go scooter tour for an hour around Budapest. And then we'll be at the track tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Rory. Thank you to all of our guests. Final so, comment. Oh, final word. The final word. Mohamed, 5K tonight. Watch out. <laughs>